Well, it's, uh, as if you've been here this summer, you'll know that at least for the second half of the summer, we've been looking at the Psalms, uh, especially the early Psalms. This morning, we'll look at the 10th Psalm. Our hope for this series has been that as we look at these Psalms each week, they would become the playlist for us, the commentary that fills our minds with wisdom, that stirs our faith and the promises that God has set uh, before us, that he is king of the earth, that he is uh, ruling and reigning even now. And, he would, and the Psalms would fill our hearts with the hope and the promises that God has made. See, the Psalms are a map intended to guide us through every conceivable situation that we could imagine, through every emotion, through every possible state that our hearts might be in. And they're meant to lead us, the Psalms are, back to God, who is our refuge, and ultimately to Jesus, to whom all the Psalms so hopefully and wonderfully point. And as we've been seeing in just these early psalms, our life with God ought to be filled with joy and thanksgiving, as David instructs us. It's filled with hope and expectation, but it's also marked by frustration and fear and grief. Certainly David's was, his life was. And so many of these early psalms, which were written by David, and they're set against the backdrop of David on the run, um, his, king, his kingship put in question as his own son Absalom is trying to kill him and ultimately to dethrone him. And so what we've been exploring this summer uh, is how these psalms do just that, act as this roadmap. And this morning, as we turn our attention to Psalm 10, we'll look at one more reality that accompanies our life with God, and it's his distance. God's perceived, or at least our perceived distance that God is from us. It's the reality that despite our longings to dwell with God and he in us, and despite our best efforts to find our life hidden in Christ, we can oftentimes be left with a sense that God is distant and he's not involved in our daily lives. So instead of being present with us as he's promised and as we should expect, it seems oftentimes that he's hidden from us. Now the God you find in the Bible is not always hidden and he's not always hard to find for sure. There are plenty of places where it seems that God is active and obvious and he's not hiding. He's right there in plain sight. I think that's what makes... Uh, a book of the Bible like Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, so exciting and such an encouragement to read and to study. See, Acts tells the story of the life of the early church after Jesus ascends into heaven and leaves the church with his Holy Spirit. And what you learn quickly in the book of Acts, as you read through it, is that God is very present in powerful, tangible, life-changing, earth-changing, globe-changing ways. Peter is completely, Peter, for instance, is a completely changed man after just a few short weeks. People are being healed in powerful ways. People are speaking in tongues. Miracles are happening. Saul goes from persecuting the church to having this radical conversion experience and then becoming the Apostle Paul and the greatest missionary and church planter the world has ever known. And so you read these accounts and you're left with the fact that no doubt that God is work and he's present and he's active. And our tendency is to read those stories and other stories throughout the Bible and think, okay, this is how God works. This is how it ought to be. This is what I should expect in my life. This is what I should expect in this church. This is what we should be experiencing. And to be sure, we should expect to see and experience God's power and presence in our lives. And no doubt, many of you this morning have, uh, have had those experiences. And certainly part of the story of Central and our recent history of renewal can only be described as miraculous because of God's hand or God's hand orchestrating events that cannot be explained in any other way other than, whoa, that was a miracle. 
So we've seen it, we've experienced it, and we ought to. But that's only part of the Christian life. There's another aspect, and it's an aspect for which our modern theology and our view of the world and even our view of ourselves and ultimately our view of God, I don't think really lend themselves. It's the struggle with sensing God's absence, which is why I'm glad to have Psalm 10, because Psalm 10 guides us through our life when it feels like a desert. It guides us through our life when, it, when our life feels like a desert, desert rather than the promised land. When rather than miracle and obvious signs from God, it's silence and apparent inactivity on his part. See, Psalm 10 expresses the reality that even as we seek our life with God and as we follow him and attend to his word and live out his mission as a church together and as individuals, we often sense his distance or his absence more than we do his presence. And this, I would suggest, is what threatens to undo us almost at every turn. I know you struggle with this, and so do I. It's why people get angry with God. It's why they lose hope. It's why they leave the faith. It's why they leave the church. It's why you and I grow tired and weary. It's why we stop praying. It's why sometimes we just lose steam. It's why your head and your soul and your heart so quickly get distracted and decide to go after other loves and, and lesser gods. Because you need God to show up. You want him to show up. It would be really great if he showed up in the instant that you have right now in your head. But oftentimes you can't find any evidence to suggest that he has shown up or that he even will. But we have the psalm to show us that struggling with God's distance or his hiddenness in our lives is actually part of our life with God. It's not an anomaly. It's not something to just get past or to, to, to try and get over. And even more importantly, it's in the midst of this struggle that we actually find God to be present in our life in more fuller and even deeper ways than we might have expected. And Psalm 10, I think, is the guide for that. So let's jump in and let's give our attention to the 10th Psalm. And uh, we give our attention to God's word. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hands. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. 
You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we take these words on our lips and in our hearts, and we give our attention to them, this 10th Psalm, and we ask, O oh God, that you would um, make this a map that draws us back to you, that as we struggle and wrestle with your distance as David did, your hiddenness from us, that it would not be something that undoes us, but it would be something that actually that draws us closer to you. So help us with this, O oh God, and give us your promised spirit that we so desperately need this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just jump into the psalm. We're going to look at three things. First, the distance of God, then the presence of the wicked, and then the defiance of faith. So first, the distance of God. This is a bold question and uh, quite an accusation for David when he asks in verse 1, why do you stand so far off, O Lord? Why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But this question comes from a place, as we've looked at over the last few weeks, of deep desperation from King David, who's being assaulted on all sides and wants nothing else but God's presence and power in his own life and in the world. But the question is unsettling, and it sounds like it's coming from perhaps someone who might be new to the faith or perhaps just isn't doing, doing it right. Like David is not just doing life with God in the right way, like they missed the how-to manual like he did. Or maybe they're not reading their Bible enough. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not reading it the right way. Or perhaps he just doesn't have his theology right. Whatever it is, he's, he's not doing it. He's doing it all wrong. Because really, we think at least, once you get the hang of prayer and you think the right way and you seek after God in just the right way, that you won't feel this way. You shouldn't be offering prayers like this. Like, why are you stand so far off, oh God? We should be feeling and experiencing God's presence. But as I said earlier, wrestling with God's distance in our lives is actually part of our life with God. And all throughout history, those who have sought most earnestly to dwell with God, to, to seek and experience his presence and find communion with him, have talked about this, about seasons in their life, sometimes, sometimes long stretches of seasons of struggling with God's distance. Several years ago, someone found and published Mother Teresa's letters that she wrote to her priest and to her spiritual director. Now, Mother Teresa had no intention of anyone ever reading these and had actually asked that they be destroyed. But I guess whoever found them didn't have the heart to put them in the uh, paper shredder. So in any event, these, when these letters were published, and they were published, they gained a lot of attention. And you quickly realize why. Because when you think of Mother Teresa, you think of someone of great faith who served the poor of Calcutta for decades. In 1946, she experienced several intense, life-changing, intimate, mystical encounters with Jesus. And so intense were they, and so real were they, that that's what led her to, to, um, to go serve, uh, in, in the, to, to serve in the slums in Calcutta. I mean, they were so real that she started her own Catholic order. But not long after that, not long after this experience, she started uh, feeling an intense absence from Jesus. And according to her letters, this lasted most of her life. So here's what she wrote in 1961. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. 
The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. I mean, that's Mother Teresa. So for her, God seemed so distant to her that it felt as though he had left her. And that's, what, that's where we are at the beginning of Psalm 10. The psalmist David crying out, why are you hiding? Please show up. Show yourself. And of course, this is a great mystery. But I want you to see that part of our life with God and seeking communion with him and, and, and is asking this question, why are you so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? See, and as David prays this, you don't get the impression that he's surprised by this. Or that this is a new experience for him. This is not an anomaly for David. This is not David on a bad day. So much of his life has been lived on the run in the wilderness, asking God to intervene, asking God to draw near. And so for David, even if it is painful, he's completely at home asking this question of God. And even acknowledging the distance that he feels. But I think here that there's an indication here that's important for us to realize the longing for God to be more present, to show up, to not be far off, even that longing is a sign of the very thing that we are asking for. See, what I mean is that you don't long for God, you don't long for more of him, unless the spirit is in you creating that longing. You're not going to long for God on your own. You don't ache after God, the God, Father, Son, and Spirit, just, just in, your own, in your own heart. That Even that longing... Even to take up this prayer is a gift that God gives to us. But the danger here isn't the struggle with God's distance. I don't think that's the danger. The danger here is not struggling with God's distance or being fine with God at a distance. That's the real danger. See, it's living with the mantra that the more space I get to live my own life and to be in control in charge of my own circumstances, the better off I'll be. The farther he is out of my life, the farther he is from my business and in my life, the better I'll be. See, then we're left living our lives as we see fit, finding our way through a life, and we're relying on our own selves and our own power and our own wisdom. That's the danger. The danger isn't asking where God is. It's becoming comfortable with the distance that we might face. But the longer you spend in the Psalms, the more you take up the language and the prayers, the more you will be at home with this great mystery and this great puzzle of the faith. That though we are made and called to find our life in Christ, even though God is meant to be and intended to be our refuge and we are made for him, his presence can seem far from us. And if you meditate and pray on Psalm 10, one of the things that might happen if you take up this psalm is that you will actually start feeling God's distance. You might sensing it more and more than you have in the past. That's kind of the point. See, that too is a sign that God is actually at work. The longing to, to have more of God in your life. But we'll get to that more of that in a minute. So that's the distance of God. The second thing this psalm shows us is the presence of the wicked. That's why for David, God seems so distant because he's living in a time of trouble. And while God seems distant, the wicked are very present. They're easy to see. Verse 2 through 11, you see the, that injustice is the mark of David's world. In verse 2, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Verse 4, all his thoughts are of the wicked, uh, for the wicked. There is no God. Verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgment are on high and out of his sight. And on and on the psalm goes. 
You see, for King David, it's easier to see what the wicked are doing than it is to see what God is doing. God seems distant, but injustice and oppression and sin and brokenness are so easy to see. And so here the wicked not only are very present, but as they do so often in the Psalms, they're mocking the very thing that David is longing for. The wicked say there is no God. In verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. The wicked are telling David, God has forgotten you. God left a long time ago. So the psalm drives this point even even further into our hearts. It's not just that God seems distant. It's that the wicked and the evil and our sin and our own sorrow seem so very present and are so very real. So we're not just talking about an existential crisis. We're not simply talking about a dark night of the soul, but a world that constantly produces evidence to suggest that at best... God is distant, but more likely he doesn't care or that he just doesn't even exist at all. And so we find ourselves in the wilderness with this ringing in our ears. God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. And we often find ourselves wondering the same thing when we are faced with the news of injustice, either from realities of war like Russia's invasion of Ukraine or uh, or whatever other humanitarian crisis comes our way or some tragic event or evil whether it's in a far-off land or even closer to home. And there are these moments when we find ourselves wondering, has God hidden his face from all of this? I'm like, why won't he show up and do something? What is he doing? And why is he not doing more? Now, I don't know, but I wonder if something similar might have been happening and going on in Mother Teresa's life. She's working day after day in the slums of Calcutta, loving and caring for children who have no families, who have very little hope, very little future. And she faced the darkness of that Every day, every hour, I sit with a hot cup of coffee reading the morning news and I become undone and I ask all these questions. She's sitting in the slums giving her life to this all the time. See, facing the presence of of the darkness as it manifests itself in wars, in poverty, in injustice, in broken relationships will so oftentimes leave you wondering the very thing that David was wondering, the very thing that Mother Teresa was wondering. Why are you so far off? And we can try and escape it. We can call the wicked something else. Or we can just ignore it. We can certainly try and insulate ourselves from injustice and poverty and the pain of the world. And sometimes we do a really good job of that. But eventually we come to the reality that our lives are lived in the presence of injustice and brokenness and sin and sorrow. And when we experience it on whatever level that might be, we oftentimes will be wondering, well, God has hidden his face. And he's never going to see any of this. Which is why then David calls us to a defiant faith. He's calling us to a a defiance of faith. Psalm 10, again, it doesn't leave us in this place of just total despair and wondering where God is. In fact, verses 12 through 18 is none other than a prayer of complete defiance to any personal sense of distance and any actual evidence of wickedness in the world. There's no other word for it than just total defiance. David's saying, no, I'm not going to let my heart reveal these things. I'm not going to listen to the wicked. I'm not going to listen to my enemies. I'm not even going to take the evidence that I see so easily about the wicked and the injustice and poverty in the world. I'm not going to let that have the last word. It's a defiance of faith. See, it doesn't take a defiant faith to see the presence of evil and wickedness. The only reason it can seem distant is because we choose to insulate ourselves or we choose to ignore it, but it's there. You don't need eyes of faith to see the brokenness of the world. But David calls us to a defiant faith that sees God's presence and power 
in our world. Verse 12, arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Verse 14, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call wickedness, call wickedness to account till you find none. Do you hear the defiance in the prayer of David? The world is a mess, the poor are oppressed, evil lurks all over, the helpless are being crushed. But you, O Lord, you are king forever and ever. Now there's a puzzle to be solved here, right? How does David get from verse 1, where he's saying, why are you so far off, O Lord? Why do you hide your, why do you hide your face in times of trouble, to verse 16? Well, you are king forever and ever. Because you think, if he can figure it out, well, then so can we. How could he say these things with such confidence in the midst of his own questions? And if we could figure that out, then, then maybe we could solve this puzzle as we struggle with God's absence in our lives. Now, I don't know how David got from verse 1 to verse 16. Maybe he heard like the most unbelievable sermon on this very topic when he needed it. <laughs> I don't think so. But I do know why he said these things. We don't know how he got there, but we do know why he said them. David knew that this God who seemed to be hiding was the God who had rescued Israel out of Egypt, who had arisen to bring them out of slavery and break the power of wicked Pharaoh. David knew that God hadn't forgotten. And David remembered that several generations later, God had not forgotten that Israel was being pressed in on every side and that they so desperately needed a king to guide them, to lead them, to be God's presence for them as they were a leaderless nation. They needed God to draw near to them through the presence of a king. And so God, God called David to be their protector, to be their leader and their defender, to be their shepherd and to be their king. See, David was the sign. David was the sign, the promise that God was there with them. That's why David is, is praying this prayer and expressing this faith of defiance. Because he knows that he is the evidence that God is not absent, that he is not far off. And that he actually does hear the cries of the afflicted. And so David prays that God would draw near and that he would intervene. But David, of course, would not be the last king to sense and feel God's absence for himself and for his people. Because centuries later, we see Jesus asking the very same question. The greater king, Jesus, in the presence of the powerful, the wickedness of the world on the cross. Which was no place for the king of the world to be. Taking up David's prayer. But here, Jesus is not only uh, feeling more, he is feeling more acutely, but he's not just feeling God's distance. He's not just feeling God's hiddenness. Jesus is being forsaken by God, which is why he asked the question, not simply, why are you far off? But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus took on the darkness and wickedness of the world in his death on the cross, he also finally became the promise that God, the one who we were made for, the one that we long for will never leave us, will never forsake us, and show us the real reality of the world and the foundation of our faith that we are called to, that God is not hiding. He is not absent. He has not forgotten. He will never be distant from us. Even in the moments of your deepest darkness, even when the presence of the sin and sorrow of the world seems so much more obvious and so much more easier to see, we have this promise. That what David longed for in verses 12 through 18, arise, O God, break the arm of the wicked. That has all come to its most beautiful, powerful, answered prayer, the most beautiful fruition in, uh, in Jesus Christ. 
Even when God feels absent to us or distant, he is in fact present. And see, it's in our struggle and confusion and longing and frustration with God's distance that we will actually find him nearer to us than when we first realized. And so it's in the defiance of our faith that we will taste and see God's goodness and his closeness to us in our lives. And so as Psalm 10 shows us, we need both. We need verse 1. We need to be able to articulate and cry out, why are you hiding your face? Why are you so far off, O Lord? But we also need verse 16. Here's how one commentator put it on this psalm. He said, Psalm 10 presents a powerful appeal to God. It neither retreats from reality, verse 1, using God as a security blanket, nor it rejects God's promises in view of the lamentable reality, the brokenness of the world. Rather, it sets the contradictions side by side and leaves their resolution to God. And that resolution is found in Jesus. So by way of application, what do we do with all of this? Well, we need to remember that these psalms were not for personal private use, which means that Psalm 10 and the struggle with God's distance and the longing for his presence are not merely to be done in private. David is not doing this in private. He's writing this psalm so that Israel and now we would take up this psalm and pray it together, sing it together, bury it deep in our hearts together. Mother Teresa's letters, while they were never meant to be shared to a broader public, were letters to someone, to her spiritual director. But see, we hold this defined faith together, but we also hold it for one another. Which means this, that there should be people in your life with whom you can share the ways which God is, might feel distant to you. You should be able to, to, to share with others in your life how God seems like he's hiding himself from you. And there should be people in your life who can actually have faith for you, for your sake, when you can't see a way out. Those who can sit with you and help you see what at times you might not be able to see, that the Lord is king forever and ever. You need people in your life who have a defiant faith on your behalf, reminding you what's good and true and beautiful. So you need people in your life like that. But also, and at the same time, there should be people in your life who are asking the same thing of you. They're asking the same thing of you, that you would remind them And believe for them that God has not left them. You need to be putting yourself in a position where you are being asked to hold on to this defined faith. In the midst of the brokenness of their lives and the brokenness of the world, the injustice that you see, where people are asking you, show me what I'm missing. Show me where God is active. Show me what I cannot see. Where you are the one praying, verse 16, on behalf of others. Where you are living out a defined faith for the sake of another. And sometimes, oftentimes... That will be the place, that will be the time when you take up this defined faith on behalf of someone else that you begin to see and sense and know what David is getting at in verse 16, that the Lord is king forever and ever. This is why we spend so much time and energy and effort and emphasis on community groups here at Central. And they're going to be ramping up in a few weeks. This is part of what we do. This is why we get in each other's presence, why we get in each other's way, why you're hustling home from work to meet up at a community group and sit with people, some you know, some you don't know. Because we're taking up this call of Psalm 10 to hold verse 1 and verse 16 in tension and have people in our lives who have the defined faith for us, but then also taking up the call to have a defined faith for others. That's our hope as we get into each other's lives and we, and we do that in our community groups. 
But this is how we love and care for one another in the midst of our own doubts and our own weakness, and it's the way we will carry one another into the presence of Christ. He is here. He is with us. And he is king forever and ever, and he has heard your cries. And he has promised that he will strengthen our hearts by the power of his spirit. And there's no better place to conclude a sermon on Psalm 10 on both the mystery of God's absence and his distance and the promise of his presence than here at this table. Because this is exactly what this table is for. As Jesus had dinner with his disciples, he was about to go to the cross and then he was about to leave them. And the table was this promise that he would never leave them, he would never be distant from them, he would never forsake them. But even in his physical absence, they would draw near to him. And so it is with us. That even as we sense and struggle with God's distance and long for his uh, presence in our lives, we have this table, this bread broken, this cup that is poured out. To be for us the true sign, the reality of the world, to open our eyes. That though there is brokenness and wickedness in the world, and though it can be easier to see here in, as you taste and see this bread and cup, this is the promise you cling to, this is the promise you hold on to, that our Lord Jesus has given us his very self. He is near to us. So come to this table and be fed by him, be nourished by him, and know that our Lord is king forever and ever. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for Psalm 10, which calls us to this defiant faith. And God, we pray that you would reveal to us, even as we struggle so oftentimes with uh, the sense that you are so far away, that um, you would draw near to us. And this table would be a reminder and a reality for us that you are never distant from us, but are here to feed us and nourish us and draw near to us in this bread and this cup. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.